On today's show, the Nuggets move on to the Western Conference Finals, and Nikola Jokic has his big playoff moment. We'll tell you who between the Sixers and the Celtics are under more pressure in their Game 7 and huge injury news that are going to impact Lakers-Warriors. All that and much more on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, welcome to Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Gavin Shaw from Locked On Knicks. However, you might be listening on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. A big night in NBA basketball. Uh, we got one really good game that came down to the end. Another blowout with a ton of ramifications. We'll talk about the Celtics narrowly beating the 76ers to force a game seven in a bit. But first, uh, let's start with the Denver Nuggets going into Phoenix and... I don't know, Gavin, uh, to say they took care of business is probably an understatement. Yeah, uh, as, as a Suns fan, Wes, not not fun to watch. Um, I've, I've been to a ton of games in that arena. Um, they were usually that bad, but generally with lower expectations going in during my time. It was a little, little before they were that good. Um, Kevin Durant didn't shoot the first seven and a half minutes of this game, or he got fouled on one shot, didn't get off a field goal attempt. The first seven and a half minutes of this game proceeded to miss his first four shots. Booker and KD combined for a three for 16 start. Contavious Caldwell Pope outscored Durant 15 to two the first 10 minutes of this game. I, I say all that to say it was over pretty quickly. The Suns were competitive for about six, seven minutes, and then Denver just blew them out of the building. I didn't have great expectations coming into this game. You look at the guys who were out there for the Suns. Like, can you honestly say anyone other than Devin Booker or Kevin Durant would be a rotation player for any other playoff team? So it was tough, but I didn't expect it to be as bad as last year, and it was arguably worse. No DeAndre Ayton for them. Chris Paul still out for the fourth straight game for them as well. Um, and so it was just Devin Booker and Kevin Durant out there. And you mentioned like the first six or seven minutes, like campaign came out, scored 10 points like right away, but mm -hmm. they were ignoring them. The Suns were playing like two on five on offense. The Nuggets were like, whatever. Campaign, what's he going to do? Score 70 points tonight? No way. Just let him keep shooting. And they just kind of let them do their thing. Uh, I thought the Nuggets came in and um, I didn't know. I didn't know if they were going to win this game. I certainly did not know that they were going to blow out the Suns the way they did. They just came in and played clean, good basketball. They were aggressive, but they weren't like overly aggressive and trying to force the issue, right? They just, they, they, Jokic came in, set the tone, um, was looking for a shot with DeAndre Ayton out of the game. He goes uh, for 14 points on 78% shooting in that first quarter with five assists and four rebounds. So he, again, just sets that tone that the, the Nuggets go on a 17-0 run to end that first quarter. They're up 44 to 26 by the end of the first quarter. And by then it was pretty much over. They were at almost 80 points by halftime. Denver didn't turn the ball over, Gavin, until two and a half minutes left in the first half. And that was just when Aaron Gordon kind of just stepped out of bounds. So it wasn't even like a live ball turnover that could result in Phoenix transition points. They just executed so perfectly. And I think it has to start with Nikola Jokic being the hub on offense. They came in and it was a clinic that they ran on the Phoenix Suns. He, I mean, I'm, I'm not breaking news by saying this, but he, he is a, a genius level playmaker. Um, he is, he's a metronome, like unlike anyone else in, in the modern NBA, like LeBron used to be like that same prime, like kind of like, like King on the, or queen on the chessboard, like manipulating. I, I don't play chess if, if that's not clear, um, but manipulating every other piece. And, and that's what Jokic does where, where you just feel 
I mean, it's honestly Tom Brady, like in his prime, might be the closest analogy. Like, where you just feel so safe with the ball in his hands, and he makes every right decision, but then he makes those decisions that no one else e- even knew were on the table, right? Yeah. Like, there's, there's genius level decisions, seeing things three, four steps ahead. And this last year, he didn't have the pieces to play with. This year, he does. Healthy Jamal Murray, like not healthy tonight, but still cooking. Michael Porter Jr., last game reigning threes, pretty much continued. Contavious Caldwell Pope is the fifth guy, is a luxury piece. He was better than pretty much anyone Phoenix had out there. Great KCP game. Great KCP game. He has 21 points in that one. Has He's like switching on to Kevin Durant. Not to spend too much time on KCP, but you're right. Like that was a big addition for them over the summer. You get Jamal Murray back. Uh, Aaron Gordon has fit in so well with that group. Michael Porter Jr. has been better this season than he ever has. The Nuggets are are great as a whole, but you're you're great. You're, I, I want to keep going on Jokic here because he's gotten uh, flack in the past for a lack of playoff moments, and I don't think it was necessarily fair the last couple of years because of uh, the lack of teammates, the lack of support that he's had. But this was really a playoff moment. This was not like end of the game, fourth quarter, do or die. Like, we didn't get that from Nikola Jokic, but we didn't get that because he was so good at the beginning of the game and throughout the game. He was the most dominant player on the floor against a team with Devin Booker, who was arguably the best player in the playoffs coming into this game, Kevin Durant, who's Kevin freaking Durant. Uh, And it was just like he was in a class by himself. He finishes with 32 points on 13 of 18 shootings, so 72%, 10 rebounds, 12 assists in 37 and a half minutes. Um, to me, this is like the number one thing on his playoff resume right now is just how he came in and, and took down a team that a lot of people thought were the favorites in the NBA, not just the Western Conference coming into these playoffs. Uh, it was an awesome game by him. Awesome yeah, game and by I, him. And, and I, I guess I would I would say on my side, like I, I just didn't have that kind of faith coming into the playoffs in the Suns. Like it was clear that depth was going to yeah. be an issue. Chris Paul. I, it, it sucks. Like I take no joy in saying this, but gets hurt essentially every year at this point, Deandre Ayton. Like I think the writing was on the wall, like a few weeks after he got drafted and they asked him what his goals were as an NBA player. And he said, I just want to get to my second contract. Well, it happened. And now he gets to go play video games all summer. So I, and look, the guy, the guy's hurt. Like he, I, I don't think it should be underrated. Like what he did during the sun's final run two years ago, he was amazing. And if you remember during that run, Nikola Jokic like yep, came out and said huge. like, yeah, this guy defends me better than anyone else in the NBA. And whatever happened there, whatever happened in the playoffs last year where it seemed like Aiton's relationship fracture with Monty Williams, fracture with Chris Paul, um, the Suns, like, obviously just as an asset play, had to resign him um, this season rather than losing to Indiana for nothing. But that never got repaired. And, and then the biggest thing to me is, like, Kevin Durant hasn't been Kevin Durant on the Phoenix Suns. Like, like go back to how he was playing when the Brooklyn Nets, I think they won something like 21 out of 22 games. And at that point in the season – I would have taken Kevin Durant in a series with Nikola Jokic and said, it's a toss up for who's the best player. And, and to look back at that and how in like the gap between them could not have been bigger throughout this series. It was obviously much more of a conversation between Jokic and Devin Booker before Booker, yeah. maybe like it might've been an ankle injury late in that game five um, that sabotaged him. He was terrible tonight. I give him a little slack because he might've been hurt, but Wes, like that was what was stunning to me. Like just the, the non-factor that Kevin Durant was not just in this game, but at least from an efficiency standpoint in this series. Non-factor is a little – that's a little tough. Okay, on, but KD, relative, but relative <laughs> to his standard, he, he was, was not a Kevin Durant factor in this. Through series. the first four games, he was averaging 32.5 points and, like, 10 rebounds a game. Sure. And, well, what were the shooting just, percentages? Right, but, like, I, I saw that graph. The only reason I knew that is because I saw a graphic at the beginning of game five that said that, and I was like, huh? Because I did feel it. Like, I didn't yeah. feel Kevin Durant's 
imprint on this series. Like, it just didn't feel like he was out there as much as a Devin Booker and Nikola Jokic. So it was a weird Kevin Durant series. Like, the, the numbers are still there, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like Kevin Durant in the playoffs the way it has felt um, in the past. Let's let's put a pin in sort of the, 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 the Suns moratorium here for a mm-hmm. second. Really quick, whoever comes out of Warriors-Lakers, we're going to touch on that series in the third segment here, but um, is it... Do you feel the way that I feel where, like, I think the Nuggets are clear? I've felt this way for a couple weeks now, but the Nuggets are clear-cut favorites and should be in the Western Conference Finals, regardless of which team it is that they face. Yeah, I think the the Lakers are such a funky matchup for them because they're such polar opposites stylistically. Obviously, Anthony Anthony Davis, you're going to build someone to maybe bother Nikola Jokic a little bit like he could do it. Though Jokic, obviously, in that bubble series, still got his. Um, they, they were talking about during the broadcast, like split the season series, but all before the Lakers made the series of trades that completely transformed them as a team. So that one, you almost have to put a little bit of a pin in. Like I would favor the Nuggets like youth and like versatility and offense, but just a weird matchup. Golden State, Denver went, I believe, undefeated against during the regular season. Obviously, Golden State beat them a year ago. So they'll have that confidence coming in, but a completely different Denver team. I, I think the Nuggets just have too much talent for the Warriors if that is the matchup. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, Phoenix, what happens now? How do we feel about the Kevin Durant trade now? We're going to talk about that next. Plus, who between the Sixers and the Celtics are under more pressure to win a big Game 7 and get to the Eastern Conference Finals? That's coming up here on Locked On NBA. But first, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that your part is going to fit or get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. All right, let's do the Phoenix Exit interview thing. Uh, they've got six or seven guys under contract for next season. Uh, not much cap space uh, to fill out the no cap space really to fill out the roster because they're so top heavy of, uh, with with salaries. Um, what do they need to do over the summer to make the most out of this group, Gavin? Yeah, the the Aiton Kyrie Irving trade has been the rumored du jour, and you know, Wes, it's it's never gone wrong for a team when they said, "Look, our only option is to acquire Kyrie Irving," and then acquiesce to Kyrie Irving and build around Kyrie Irving, but. Honestly, that might be where the Phoenix Suns are at. And, oh and, and you try to, to some extent, replicate what the Nets did with. You're already uh, making Irving me not want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I just, I, you're I, right. I, yeah. Um, I'm not happy. I hate I, as a Suns fan, I'm not enjoying this. But this, yep. this, is, this is where we're at, Wes. This is where we're at. So if we've gotten to the point now where we're just recycling super teams, like the super team era was fun when everybody was trying to team up and you're like, oh, cool, like AAU ball stuff. Like this is like super friends, everybody teaming up and trying to make the most of this. But if we just start recycling super teams on different coasts, I'm out. I'm all the way out on the super team thing. Uh, I don't even have a rooting interest in the Phoenix Suns, and I'm already bummed out just that because you said that. Um, but let's talk. I, I think the obvious thing is, can you go find those ring chasers on minimums? Can you mm. get, can you, can you, can you hit one, you know, mid-level exception out of the park, you know, under Sarver, maybe they're not very keen on using that MLE, but now that Matt Ishbia sounds like he's willing to spend the money. 
They can use the full mid-level exception that they're going to have available to them. Can you go get a difference maker with that? Somebody like Dylan Brooks, something like that could like make a lot of sense for them. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, go find some ring chasers with those veteran minimums. And then you got, but the the thing is, like you said, and, and you've, you, you said it a couple times now, but the DeAndre Ayton question, is he going to be a part of this thing going forward or not? I still have hopes in DeAndre Ayton, maybe turning a corner and just decide and figuring it out and really just settling into a role of, okay, I'm not Devin Booker and I'm not Kevin Durant. And you know what? That's okay. Cause I got my second contract and I can go out there and just dunk and rebound. Um, he needs to do both of those things at a much, much higher level. Um, but can he commit to that? So you got to figure that out. I think if you're James Jones and Matt Ishbia and Monty Williams and, and kind of just figure out that part and what you want to do with him, but let's go bigger picture here. Now they go and trade for Kevin Durant. It is a win now move championship or bust mood. At the trade deadline. Um, I don't think that this is a total failure by the Phoenix Suns because you still have Kevin Durant, right? It's not like he was on an expiring contract. You've got Devin Booker, who has clearly taken another leap at, uh, from what we saw in these playoffs. And when you have those two guys, that's a that's a, that's as good of a starting spot as you can really ask for in the NBA. So I don't know that it's a failure, but I don't know that if you're and, – and you are. You're a Suns fan. Like, how are you feeling about this Durant trade now? I mean, look, I – I, I'm not, I'm not hindsight's 2020, right? I, I definitely didn't hate it in the moment. I was, I was kind of just like a, wow. I mean, like, I'm going to have to see it play out to know how you feel about it. But it's sort of what I just said. It was sort of what you're just talking about. And it's like, why I think like they almost like, I'm not that I think this would work, but they might almost have to double down on the superstar thing is that they don't really have a ton of flexibility built depth. Sure. They can bring a piece or two in here, but when you're looking at like the rest of this team, you're saying like, all right, is Chris Paul going to come back next year? Like, are we really just like going to do this thing again? Like where he kind of just like stumbles his way through the regular season, then gets hurt in the playoffs, like another year further. Like he really, really like, even though the stats were good and on some nights it looked good, like he just struggled to create separation. And there were certain teams in certain matchups that could just smother him. And it, it's like for Phoenix now, it's like, how do you get pieces around those guys? And how do you do so with the context that Kevin Durant, like, again, the guy that I, I just referenced that looked like an MVP early this season, Wes, like, he's going to be 35 at the start of next season. Like, yeah. are we are we reasonably, like, expecting that we get that guy again? Like, I don't want to bet against Kevin Durant. He's still seven feet. He's still one of the most talented shooters you've ever seen. Still a basketball genius. But is he going to be at that level? And if he's not, like, can you have enough ancillary pieces? Even if Devin Booker comes in the next year as a top five or six guy, which I, I think there's a case to be made that that he could be just that. It's a season and a half project. It's just so hard to, to move all those pieces that you move for KD and rebuild on the fly. They tried Terrence Ross, TJ. Those, those guys just didn't work out. So this is a big summer for them. Let's go to Philly. Tough loss for the 76ers. They were up 3-2 in the series. Uh, they had the lead midway through the fourth quarter at home. But then Jason Tatum and the Celtics storm back. They get the win, 95-86. to Now the Sixers have to play a Game 7 in Boston. Uh, before we get to what's at stake in game seven on Sunday, where do you want to start with this game six, Gavin? I, I think it was just the Sixers offensive execution down the stretch and, and the pivot for Boston uh, starting Robert Williams. Um, and then going back to him in the fourth quarter, I was like, not, not on any public forum, but just privately, it was, it was kind of, it sounds like the stuff LeBron says where it's like, yeah, I knew, I knew the Celtics were to start Robert Williams, but <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was kind of wondering like why they weren't going that direction. Because if we flash back to last year, like that stretch before the playoffs when they went from a mediocre team to the second half of last season. That was one of the like better 40 game stretches a team has ever played in NBA history, not necessarily in terms of record, but in terms of point differential, in terms of how dominant they were when they were yeah. just using Robert Williams as kind of a rover, right? And, and 
this year, like it's kind of clear, like just like it was in last year's playoff run that he wasn't quite the same guy athletically, like maybe in fits and spurts, but not consistently watching him tonight. I still don't think he's that guy. I still think that lineup is very effective, effective. And Joe Missoula has, unlike Ime Adoka, leaned into offense more than defense tonight. He kind of tried to recapture some of that Ime Udoka magic, and and I think it did a lot down the stretch. Joel Embiid, his last shot in this game comes at 356. He complains about it after the game, says, like, I felt like I should have got the ball. I didn't get the ball. What, what, what did you think of that, Wes? Like, because Embiid at points in this game was absolutely dominant, but Philly doesn't really look his way um, when they're trying to close out the Celtics. Yeah, I I was sort of in the same situation. I was kind of wondering when they were going to get Joel Embiid the ball, and it wasn't for a lack of trying necessarily. They were running a lot of Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, two-man actions with James Harden off the ball uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and um, they just never really got back to that Harden-Embiid pick-and-roll that's been so effective to them uh, when it really mattered. There was moments during the game, but when it really mattered, they never got to it. Maybe, you know, was that because Robert Williams was in the game? They, they – for a lot of that fourth quarter, it was one or the other between Robert Williams or Al Horford. So I don't know that you could blame the too big thing for being an issue there um, in the most important moments of this game. So I thought that was strange, but not not that strange because we've seen this from the Sixers before. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, this thing's working. All right, we're just not going to do it for like an entire quarter. And, and you're just like, all right, this is weird. Um, to me, what really stuck out was Jason Tatum. He has three points through the first three quarters misses 12 of his 13 shots and then all of a sudden just starts dominating in the fourth quarter he pours in 16 points in the in the fourth quarter uh back-to-back threes that give the celtics a lead with three and a half minutes left another three-pointer to go up eight with two minutes ago and then he just and then a dagger is is probably a strong word because it kind of felt like it was over based on how the sixers were playing in the in the final minute but uh just another three-pointer with 36 seconds left for to go up 95 to 84 that was it um, I thought I, I've been really unimpressed with Jason Tatum this entire series, but you could say now that he's had maybe the po- most important quarter of the series, given that Boston was able to go into Philly and and kind of take this win, right? They got off to a good start. Philly came back, but Boston was the one that laid the hammer uh, when it really mattered. Who, who do you think is under more pressure in game seven between the Celtics and the Sixers? That's a great question. Um I almost still have to say Philly just because even though I think Boston is the better team, so it's counterintuitive, but I, I just think the the window is 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 a little closer to being finished uh, for the Sixers than it is for the Celtics with James Harden apparently having aspirations of going back to the Houston Rockets uh, for whatever reason, maybe reasons we can't get into on this podcast, but um, that's a possibility. Joel Embiid, like at a certain point, does he just like throw his hands up in the air and say like, all right, it's not working here. And like, like he becomes the latest superstar to ask out, like, because he like, this, this has been the the glass ceiling for the Sixers, right? Second round. And they've like, even when they've been heavy favorites, they've, they haven't been able to get over the hump. And, and to your point tonight, like Jason Tatum, 0 for 10 first half, I was trying to think of a historical parallel. And like, it was like LeBron on the Mavericks in 2011. And, and this was like to invoke another star, but to an even greater extent, you and I on like a podcast earlier today talking Nick's heat, um, we're going into how like Jimmy Butler like was nominally making the right play. But at some point, like as a superstar, you just got to go through two guys, right? Yeah. And Tatum, I thought in this game, was, was very much guilty of that. Like right play, right play, right play. And I say that to say like this was just a golden opportunity for Philly. Like like when they got down 15 to three to start this game, I was like, all right, Boston's going to run him out of the building. They had every opportunity to get back into this game. They did get back into this game and take the lead and to squander yeah. it down the stretch like I, I don't know. Do you do you think they're going to have that same chance late in Boston, or do you think Boston figured something out and, and they're going to control this final game? 
I don't think any team has figured anything. I, I don't think Boston has figured anything out. I have no idea who who I would pick in game seven. I guess I would lean Celtics just because they're at home, but I don't feel good about it, man. Like I, I really I wouldn't put any money on this. I would not encourage anybody to bet on this on FanDuel. But um, look, there's no doubt that the Sixers are under way more pressure, right? Because it's going to suck regardless for whichever team ends up losing on Sunday. It's just, it's going to suck right away. Both fan bases are going to call for changes. But then I think if you're the Celtics and you give it a couple weeks and you remove yourself, you could kind of say, all right, we still got Jason Tatum. The priority is trying to figure out what we've got to do with Jalen Brown, but that was going to be the case either way, regardless if we made the conference finals or not. Joe Missoula, he was thrust into a tough position. We didn't really have a full coaching staff on his bench and all these things. We're still young. We have good pieces. We feel good about where we're going. But if you're Philly, man, like this is the end of the – it feels like it could be, I should say, the end of the road. Yeah. Doc Rivers, you've already blown three 3-2 three, leads in the playoffs in your coaching career. Can you really survive another one? It kind of feels like he might be the one on the chopping block if the Sixers lose on Sunday. You mentioned the the James Harden rumors that have been around since Christmas. Uh, that's weird. And if he leaves, you do have to wonder if you're a Sixers fan. Does Joel Embiid look around? He's like, Doc Rivers is gone. Um James Harden walked away. Like, what am I staying here for? We can't, we can't put a good team together. And like, there's been murmurs in NBA circles about Joel Embiid's impending happiness in Philadelphia. People are wondering whether or not he's going to be the next star on the move. And there's good reason to wonder that. So to me, there is no, like Jason Tatum is going to be on the Celtics next year. I feel really good about that. Mm. I don't feel as good about Joel Embiid's situation. If they lose on Sunday, I think it's something that a lot of teams are going to monitor. Uh, and hope kind of <laughs> blows up for Philly. So to me, no doubt Philly is under more pressure. And historically, they have not responded to that pressure very well. So big stuff happening on Sunday uh, in Boston. Coming up, there's big injury news that could impact Warriors-Lakers, and it's not Anthony Davis. We'll tell you who it's about next. You're listening to Locked On NBA. Thanks again for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. If you're list- if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Uh, also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on the Odyssey app. The Lakers host the Warriors for Game 6 on Sunday with a chance to close out the series and meet the Denver Nuggets in the conference finals. Unfortunately for them, it sounds like Anthony Davis does expect to play, and he does not have a concussion, as some people feared, after taking that shot from Kevon Looney in the last game. But... Uh, we had late-breaking news uh, on the injury front on Thursday night when it was reported that Andrew Wiggins is questionable with a cartilage fracture in his rib ribcage. Uh, unclear when the injury occurred, but Gavin, how big of a deal is this for the Warriors if Wiggins can't play? I think it's I think it's massive. I mean, he he was the guy that that I was waiting to step up in that series and was kind of surprised with the relative lack of defensive attention that the Lakers were paying him, that he hadn't had bigger games. It just felt like the Warriors were, weren't really going his direction. Obviously, like he missed what was it, like the last 30 plus games, of the regular season, maybe more. Um, so they're and but he was very good in that King series at points. And then I think they figured something out um, putting him in the pick and roll with Steph Curry, like especially when Anthony Davis was on him and playing out that dance over and over again. And like whether it was like Curry finding a way to get an open shot, but more often it was like Curry just kind of sucking Anthony Davis away from the rim and then Wiggins and Draymond Green of all people just just feasting there um and, and then I thought the pace like really played into Wiggins hands too and like we're talking about a guy who is clear-cut uh the second best player on their championship team a year ago so that is 
a massive, massive loss offensively and defensively, just like another physical, versatile piece that they've been able to throw LeBron James at, at, at the other wings that the Lakers have. So it's it, it's a two-way loss that I I honestly, I don't think they win this series if he's, if he's out for these two games. Uh, I would have to agree with you. The Warriors have what? Four players that Steve Kerr trusts, you know, yeah. not including Kevon Looney because of the spacing problems um, that it presents when he's on the floor with Draymond. If Wiggins is out, that's like three. That's three guys that you trust that you could play at a time. Maybe like, all right, maybe four, I guess. If, if it, no, yeah, it's if, if Wiggins isn't playing, it's Draymond, Clay, and Steph. End of list. Those are the guys that you could play together. He doesn't trust Jordan Poole. Gary Pitt in the second can't shoot. I know he's got his moments, but you're, nobody's respecting him from three-point range. Um, and the Warriors haven't been able to find anybody else that works. You mentioned Andrew Wiggins' defense on LeBron James. Like, what are you going to do now? You know, like Gary Payton's too small. LeBron will eat that up. You know, um, I guess you could throw Draymond Green at him, but now that that's a whole other wrench in your plans because now you got to worry about who's guarding Anthony Davis and Draymond and, and you know, and, and wearing Draymond Green down and, and all those things. Uh, and I do think that this series, I, I, the Warriors and Lakers felt like so evenly matched. It just sort of felt like every time, like which team can kind of set their tone on the game. And that's usually the, the, the team that wins that game. Um, and I thought that maybe this series was going to come down to, okay, is it just going to be like which one of LeBron or Steph have the bigger game, ha- have the big game at the right moment on the road, and that's what's going to end up swinging this series? Well, if there's no Wiggins to provide interference on LeBron, it kind of feels like this is just tailor-made for LeBron to go into Los Angeles at Crypto.com Arena and and just like, and just go off for the LeBron game that we just quite frankly have not seen in this series if Andrew Wiggins isn't there, it kind of feels like it's right there on the table for him. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a tricky thing for LeBron right now because it like, it's easy to forget like who he was earlier this season. Like this was a dude who's putting up 30 points per game, obviously was, was not quote unquote prime LeBron, but athletically, like, again, like there was margin for error there, right? Like he, he could drop off a whole lot and, and, and still just be a monster that can overwhelm most guys. And I think you're, you're seeing at points now, particularly like in the games, like where he quote unquote, like recognizes that like, it's just not going to be the Lakers night. Like there is just not quite the same burst. Like he's not punishing guys on switches the same way. Like obviously he scored quite a bit, but honestly, like given the disparity there and how that matchup's gone historically, like Curry's like held up like as well as you could hope in those situations. So that that's like on the Lakers side yeah. of things, like if there's a question, like it, it, it's just the health across the board, because like, obviously it seems like Anthony Davis is going to play like the dude, like what was the report that he was like in a wheelchair at a point? Like that's, I would call that a concern. I just call the general wear and tear a concern. Like I know I'm like, I think it was Schroeder who got beat up. I think Reeves got beat up a little bit. Like obviously to some extent that is just the second round of the playoffs, but it, I really think it just, it's kind of a war of attrition at this point. And if Wiggins is out, I would bet on the Lakers as the deeper team of these two. But I think it's worth noting that this really is a both side situation where like you're, you're kind of looking at like like two like old pirates facing off against each other. And there are multiple peg appendages. There, there's eye patches all over the place. Like it, it feels like that kind of series. Um, well, LeBron did sink that three pointer in the playing tournament a couple years ago with one eye. Right. He said he couldn't see sure. out of one eye. So uh, yeah. he's maybe he's used to it. Um, I will arc. say this. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to I. I I can't, I still can't count the Warriors out, even mm-hmm. without Andrew Wiggins. Like, there's just, there's a level of Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Do you get like a game six Clay, right? Like, I remember just, you know, in 2019, Kevin Durant goes down and, and, and the Warriors still managed to come out uh, of, of, a, of a Toronto Raptors game with the win. And you're just, and, and, you know, 
they just like they found a way to come together. Now this team is very different than the dynasty teams. They're not. It's not nearly as good, but there is just a, a certain mentality with this team that I just I can't count them out as long as Steph is is playing and he's healthy. Uh, one name we didn't mention, Jonathan Kaminga, hasn't gotten really any run in this series uh, of any importance. It feels like they might that, that they're going to need him with Wiggins down. He's the only comparable body to Andrew Wiggins. He was the guy who basically replaced Andrew Wiggins for those two months that Wiggins disappeared from the team. Um, uh, during the regular season, I thought he was pretty good, especially defensively. Like he's had moments, uh, but this is a big spot for somebody like Kaminga to come in who basically hasn't played all playoffs. And now to ask him to come in and play big minutes and potentially guard LeBron, uh, it's a tall task, but that's kind of where the Warriors might be. Yeah. I think the, the fear, I mean, obviously there's a lot of fears with playing someone that young in that situation, but it is like how the Lakers will approach guarding him. Um, and if they decide to put Anthony Davis on him and that, that is like the Anthony yes. Davis, like can roam wherever you want. And obviously the Warriors have counters for that. Like they, they are always like historically would use that guy's a screener for Steph Curry. And then you, you force Davis into the action. Um, but then, then maybe you're taking Steph Curry out of that play sometimes. So there's, there's a cascading effect. And look, Jonathan Kuminga did shoot 37% from three this year is only on 2.2 attempts per game. I don't have a lot of faith in him. Like, even if they're wide open, like, and that's nothing about him. That's him being like a super young guy, like playing in games of magnitude that like, I mean, he played a little bit last year in the playoffs, but like not consistently. Um, so I think that's tough. I, I think it's going to be a lot of Moses Moody, maybe. Um, they yeah. found some stuff with Gary Payton cutting off the ball and and obviously just spamming pick and roll and like playing, I think, with a pace and a force that they haven't had all series. Like the transition points like weren't crazy. They only finished with 13 points in transition. But like Steve Kerr said it after the game, it was a lot of the mismatches they got from pushing the ball and then being able to leverage that and put the Lakers in weird positions. And and Steve Kerr like kind of said it like as much as like they're trying to punish Steph, we're trying to punish LeBron and AD. And, and for Golden State, like right, like that's like the obvious goal. Just find a way to get to game seven. Have those two guys worn out as can be because you know the Lakers want to close this out at all costs at home. They do not yeah. want to go back to San Francisco um, because I think in a game seven, it's anyone's a, game. Like Steph, Steph is liable to go off for 50 again, right? A ton, absolutely. Like you don't want to go back to Chase Center if you're the Lakers and a ton of urgency added to this thing because you don't know how long this Andrew Wiggins rib case. I don't know if this is a, a, a cartilage thing. I never even heard of this. So I don't know if it's a one game thing or a two game thing. A season, I have no idea. So, and if you're the Lakers, I don't know if you have any idea either. So, go. you're going home, take care of business, a lot of urgency for the Lakers. You do not want to play a game seven if you're them. And if you're the Warriors, that's the whole deal, right? Just get in there, get a big shooting night, anything can happen um, from one of your guys. Thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Every dayers, make sure that you're subscribed to the show, and we'll be back on Monday with the biggest stories from the NBA weekend. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked on Heat and Gavin over at Locked on Knicks. Gavin, quick, who do you got tonight, Heat or Knicks? Oh, why, why are you making me do this? That That is that is not fair, Wes. Uh, I, I picked against the Knicks in the first round, and it worked out, so I'm going Heat. And I think, I think the Heat take care of business at home.